chapter 4. I know I've been gone for, well, I was gone a week, and then last week Pastor was finishing some things there, or at least starting some things that he's going to be doing on Sunday nights with the King James Bible. And so I will do a very brief review, uh, just so we don't completely forget where we left off, and then we'll get right back to where we, of course, left off. Now, of course, been going through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse. Uh, the first three chapters we covered, we, of course, spent some uh, major time on doctrines. Uh, that's what Paul kind of focuses on in the first three chapters, and we spent some time talking about sitting. And now we get into chapter four, and he shifts from sitting to walking, right? And so we've been talking about walking, and more specifically, we've been talking about walking in unity, right, in the first 16 verses of this chapter. Now, of course, we haven't covered all those yet, but we'll plan on finishing those today. But verses 2 and 3, we talked about some practical ways to walk in unity, right, with lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Uh, then verses 4 through 6, we spent some time talking about how many things we have one, right, one body, one faith, one baptism. And so I, I of course, hit that a couple times on how we have oneness in Christ and how we have some unity because we, that's why we have unity, because we have the same stuff, right? We agree on what's the important things. Um, and of course, uh, I, I think I pointed out, you know, it's, it's important to keep in mind what we agree on, because um, we might not agree on everything, right? We might not agree on what's the best pickleball paddle brand, right? We might be like, well, I think this one's better, and you might think that one's better, right? We might not agree on how, you know, in the garden when they came to get Christ, how Malchus's ear got back on his head, you know what I mean? Like, no, you guys don't ever think about that, like how that happened, like Peter draws a sword and cuts his ear off. Well, it would go to the ground, correct? Right? So did God pick it up and then put it back on? Did God just touch what's left of his ear and heal it? Did God, like, use magnetic force to pull it up and stick it back on? I mean, there's, we could all disagree on how that, that happened, right? But we agree that his ear got healed, right? Well, yeah, the Bible says the Lord touched his ear and he was healed. That's all the Bible says about it. And there's plenty of things like that, you know, where they get mad at Christ early in his ministry and they lead him to the brow of the hill to kill him, it says to cast him down headlong, and then it says he walked through the midst of them. What did they, how did they do that? You know what I mean? Like, did he just go invisible? Did he get where they could see him, but they couldn't touch him? Did he just walk through them, and they just were stunned with, frozen with fear? I mean, they had led him there. They probably put hands on him to bring him there, <laughs> you know? Uh, when they led him away to Caiaphas, they had hands on him. They, you know what I mean? So, uh, anyway, there's a lot of things, you know, we might be like, well, we might disagree on little things. But we need to focus on what we do agree on because there's so much we agree on. And we agree on the things that matter, right? It doesn't really matter how Malchus's ear was healed. It mattered that it was healed, right? Um, and so we agree on a lot of things, and so we need to focus on that. Then verse 7, we talked about uh, even though we are all one in Christ, we still have some individuality, right? We're not cookie-cutter Christians. We don't have all the same personality. We don't look the same, right? But God has different things he's equipped us with to use for the glory of Jesus Christ, right? To honor God with them. All right, then we got into verses 8 through 12, and we spent some time, and this is where we left off last time, talking about the gifts that the body of Christ, God has given the body of Christ. And so we spent some time in verse 12 talking about, verse 11, excuse me, on how apostles and, and prophets are, have gone by the wayside in a sense. They're not being used during the church age, but God still has evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so God uses them as a gift to the body of Christ to fulfill his will. Verse 12, what are they doing? They're for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so those are the main three things in the text. 
that God uses pastors and teachers and evangelists for, right, to do those things. Okay, so we're, we're talking about these gifts. We're talking about them being used. We're talking about growth. We're talking about walking in unity. And so let's go ahead and read verses 11 through 16. Uh, I know we've covered 11 and 12, but we're going to read it together because in case you didn't notice, verse 11 through 16 is one sentence. So it's another one of those long sentences that Paul has. And so we're going to read it together. Verse 11 says this, And they gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him, into him excuse me, in all things, which is the, the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to, to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love, right? So Paul can put together a long sentence. Paul was very smart, if I can put it that way, and, and when it came to grammatical things. And so if I tried to put it together a sentence like that, it would be a run on like seven times over, right? But Paul can do it, and it, it makes sense, right? And it makes uh, perfect sense. Okay, so that's what we're going to spend some time on. So let's pick it up in verse 13. Uh, that's where we finished verse 12 last lesson a couple weeks ago. Verse 13 says this, "...till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So as we walk in unity and endeavor to walk in unity, we have to constantly and consistently be reminded how to walk in unity. And he's given us some things here on how we can walk in unity and how we can keep the unity of the faith, right? And so God uses pastors and teachers from verse 11 to instruct us and to remind us how we can keep the unity of the faith. That's what he says there, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now, we've looked at the fact that we're to keep it back in verse 3, I think it was. Uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, so when we talk about this, verse 12, this growing here, this unity unto a perfect man, the measure and the stature of Christ, um, you can really take it either way. You can take it as individual growth, or you can take it as the body of Christ needs to grow. Either one fits, okay? Um, we, the Lord desires for both to grow. He expects the body of Christ to grow. He expects you as an individual Christian to grow, right? And so the Lord has a desire for the church and for the body and for you, and of course that entails you growing. Uh, the Lord wants us to grow, right? And He wants us to grow together in the unity of the faith as we endeavor to keep the unity. Now, when it comes to unity, um, you cannot have unity over something that can change. If your unity is over an opinion or an idea or over even a, a person, a human being, all of those things can change. If we have, an, an, a, we have an, a unity over what brand of something we like, and then one of us decides we don't like it anymore because we got a lemon, well, then the other person would have to change with me, right, to keep unity? But if they don't change, then we don't have unity, right? So unity cannot be over a thing in the sense of like something that could change. Unity must be over an eternal, unchangeable thing in order for us to continue to have unity, okay? 
Uh, we could we could have disunity. We, we can have disunity about all kinds of different things. But if we can get on the same page with something that's eternal, something that's external, from down here that can change, then we can get on the same page with unity, and we can have some unity. And in this case, of course, unity of the faith. Right? Um, we saw in verse already in verse uh, three of the chapter that we're to keep it. So if if we're to keep the unity of the spirit, right, and the unity of the faith, that means it's something we can lose. Yeah. Correct. Right? We could lose the unity we have right? if we stop agreeing on the same things. Right? And in the context, of course, in verse uh, 13, we're talking about the unity of the faith. Now, unity is not something that comes by accident <laughs> or, or natural, of natural causes. As a matter of fact, usually we disagree on everything. Right? And we actually have to put forth effort in order to be unified on something. Okay? Um, but here we're speaking about unity. We're talking about unity of the faith. And so when you talk about the word faith, where does faith come from? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? So, so, so where does faith come? Faith comes from God's word. So what are we keeping when we keep the unity of the faith? We're keeping God's word. Okay? And God's word is eternal. And God's word is external from us. And it's something that we can unify around as long as we line up with it. And when we don't have unity and we have disagreements and we have discord, then one of us or both of us are not submitting to the perfect thing that brings unity. And that's, of course, going to be the Word of God, right? So the Word of God is an unchangeable source, and we find that unchangeable source that can give us unity in the Holy Scriptures, right? And so that's why we make such a big deal about the King James Bible. Because without the King James Bible and us not agreeing on what is our final authority and what is... We're going to, what, we're, what are we going to unify around, then we're not going to have the unity that God wants us to have, okay? So that's what we hit on all the time. That's why pastor's doing a lesson and doing a series on it. He's going to be teaching more on it about the King James Bible and why we have it and why we believe it, right? Um, I mean, a glaring one when it comes to other versions would be uh, John chapter 7, verses, I think it's 8 through 10. What does it say? It says something along the lines of Christ telling his brethren, they say, go up to the feast, and he says, I go not up yet. But then two verses later, he goes to the feast, right? So the King James Bible has the word yet in there, meaning I'm not going yet. Then the, his brothers went, and then he went in secret right after that. But they didn't know he was coming. And that's why he said, I go not up yet. But every new version removes the word yet. So we have a problem now, because then Christ says, I go not up to the feast. And two verses later, he goes up to the feast. I looked up 15 different versions on it. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a problem with a version that makes my God a liar. Because if Christ is a liar, then he cannot be my savior. If he tells one lie, then he's a liar, he's a sinner, he's no longer a sinless sacrifice that can be my sacrifice for sin, right? So I have an issue with that, right? So that's why we make a big deal about the King James Bible. Why? Because we believe it's perfect and we can unify around it. And you and I can have unity. Why? Because we agree with God's word. That's why we're here today. Like, I'm here because I agree with the Word of God. And you're here, hopefully, because you agree with the Word of God, right? And so we can have a church service and we can sing hymns to the Lord and we can worship God together because we all agree God's Word is perfect and we need to be more like Him. But if, if, if we're uniting around a dress code or uniting around we like the color of the carpet, which none of us like that color, right? Like, then, then we're not going to have any unity, that could change, right? We could change the carpet. I hope we do one day, you know? No, uh, no so, so obviously we have some unity. Why? Because we're around the Bible, right? We're around the King James Bible specifically. We're submitted to it. 
All right. Uh, he says in verse 13, he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, let me say this. Outside of the rapture or death and God giving you a new body, you will never get to be a perfect man like he's speaking about. You're never going to be just like Christ down here in the flesh. Okay. But that is our goal. Our goal is to strive to be like Christ, right? And, and we're, we're going to, Lord willing, we know one day we will be, right? But that's the goal. So that's why we don't set our goal as something that we can attain. Because then we'd attain it and then we wouldn't know what to do next, right? Like you should set some spiritual goals, right? You should have some goals like, hey, I'm going to read through my Bible this year, right? And if you're like, well, I've done that. I read through it once in a year then maybe you should set it for another time in the year. You know what I mean? Like get to the place where you're reading through it three or four times a year and then six times a year. You would benefit from it. You know, when I got right with the Lord and started getting the Bible after a couple years of being with, trying to do right, I set the goal of six, six times in the year I'm going to go through the Bible. You say, why? I didn't read anything else because I knew how stupid it was when it came to the Word of God. And so at that time, I wasn't reading a lot of other stuff. I was just reading the Bible. Well, I just wanted to start from scratch. Take the most pure thing and put it in, Right? You know what I mean? Like, for, for some of you, reading through the Bible one time in a year is, is a goal that you need to do. Some of you have done that. Set your goals higher, right? Don't be like that Christian that for 40 years, I read through it one time a year. Like, well, you could have done more, you know, because reading through it one time a year maybe takes you 15 minutes a day. Maybe you could spend more time than that. Now, if you've never done that, start there, right? But when it comes to goals, God's given us the goal of Christ. We're never going to reach that down here. But my, my job is to endeavor to continually grow and get closer to Christ. And that's what he wants to see from us. God wants us to continue to grow. Look at verse 14. He says, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to, deceives, or to deceive. All right. So what happens when we don't have unity? What happens when we can't have the unity of the faith and we're not growing in the way we're supposed to in verse 13? Well, verse 14 takes place. We're tossed to and fro, and we're carried about with every wind of doctrine, and we're deceived by the slight of men, right? So um, when it comes to this unity, and I keep hitting on it, being the, the word of God, if I made unity me, or I made unity you, any Christian or any pastor, any teacher, then we're not going to continue to have unity because that can change, right? But with the word of God, we have perfect unity, and we can follow the, the Bible and submit to it, all right? Now, when it comes to verse 14 and reading that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, to me that's a perfect description of the modern movement of Christianity. And that is the being blown around, right? Uh, they claim unity and getting everyone together and not making any our argument or fusses about doctrine or, or what we believe is a church. We are just all together. But what happens? They don't have the unity they could have because they don't have anything they can unify around. Okay, um, <clears throat> And so when it comes to the Word of God, we have something that gives us stability, something that gives us perfect unity if we'll, we'll be behind it, right? And so the, the last thing we want to do is we don't want to be children tossed to and fro, right? So you say, I can't stress the importance enough of, of being part of a local church that preaches and teaches the Word of God so that we can have some unity and continue to grow right? Like we need that, right? And I can't stress it enough. The local church is, is a place where we can get behind the Word of God and allow the Word of God to grow us. And, and we certainly need that, right? We don't want to be the child there in verse 14 that's uh, the, the be no henceforth, be no more children, right? Why? Well, think about a child. 
a child's opinion is always changing. Like there is no, there's no like, it's just, it's changing based on whatever they're, hang, whoever they're hanging around and whatever they're being told. You know what I mean? Like when we watched Charlotte a few months back, I convinced her that she was allergic to Oreos. <laughs> right? I told you guys that story. I just hold it by her, her, her face and said, if you blink, you're allergic to them. And she went through the test and blinked and then tried to deny she blinked, right? Because you have to blink, right? What, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm teasing her, right? But I'm, what I'm trying to point out is a kid's opinion is always changing. It, it doesn't stay the same. Literally, like they'll go hang out with their friends and their opinion completely changed from what it was literally five minutes ago. I'm serious. Like my wife and I were down in uh, Pensacola and we ended up Sunday night, we went up after church to play some pickleball because that's what you do after church. And we played till, I don't know, 11.30 at night, 12 o'clock. It was ridiculous how long we played. It was Gideon's fault. Gideon Baker was down there. And he just wanted to play one more game. So anyway, then we get done and it's like, now we're starving and there's nothing to eat, right? Everything's closed. And so we made the mistake of going to fast food. And we went to Whataburger because it's like the only place that's 24-7, you know? And we went in there and it was full of high schoolers like it used to be where I used to go, you know? And there was, I think, maybe eight to 10 high schoolers in there. And every single one of them had horribly long, shaggy hair, all the men. What is that? That's because that's what's in right now. That was in when I was in high school, then it kind of faded away, and now it's coming back, right? And so what are all the teenagers doing? Grow your hair out. Why? Because that's what we do, right? And then they're going to get older and look back and be like, why did I do that? We did the same thing. Like, I was sitting down with Brother Pilkington and Pastor, and we were talking about things we did in high school. Man, it was embarrassing, but also hilarious, (laughs) some of the things that we would do, right? Because you just want to fit in so bad, right? Well, that's what a Christian's like when they don't have unity and don't have the Word of God guiding their life. They're just blown around. They're like a child that just gets a new, oh, that's the new thing our church should be doing. Let's do that. And five months later, that's the new thing we should be running after. Let's do that, right? And then it's just a child being thrown around and tossed about with no stability and, and, and just allowing their beliefs and their actions, and their goals, and their, and their habits to be changed constantly. That's how a child lives their life, right? And we're trying to instill some good things into them, but if you leave them to their self, they're going to change that constantly. About the only thing they're going to be st- st- stable on is being lazy and not doing what they're supposed to do, right? Unless you force them to obey and, and teach them that they need to have some character, right? None of our kids have character naturally, right? And so what, what, what does the Lord not want us to be? Well, he doesn't want us to be henceforth to be no more children. So Paul here in verse 13, 14, excuse me, gives us three vivid examples of what it looks like when you don't have unity around a final authority. What are they? Well, the first one is like a child, and children certainly don't have stability. Then we see in verse 14, tossed to and fro, right? He, he likens them on like to a wave in the sea. What is it? It's tossed to and fro. It's blown around, right? It it's, has zero stability. So we see children don't have stability. Waves don't have stability. And then, he, then a stormy wind blowing, right? We see that in verse 14. He says, in every wind of doctrine. All right? So blow, being blown around all over the place. Uh, when it comes to that kind of stuff, you're being led by the wind and you don't control where you're going, right? Like, I mean, if it's something blowing something around, it, it, it doesn't, I need to go over there and the wind t- takes him there. The wind pushes him wherever he wants to go, Right? And so that's the, the, the example that Paul gives us of what it looks like to not have a final authority and not have unity of the faith and not be submitted to those that God has given you to perfect you, to grow you, and to edify you, right? So you're being blown all over the place. Uh, look at, <clears throat> look at uh, 3.17, Ephesians 3 and verse 17. Certainly God does not want us to be blown around, 
right? God doesn't want us to be tossed about. God doesn't want us to act like children. And so he wants us to be grounded. Verse 17, 317, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, right? So the Lord wants us to have our roots down in his truth, in the word of God, so that we don't get blown around and we don't get tossed to and fro. Uh, look at 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> it's a lot of talking without turning. So I, I got to give you guys a reference. It helps stay, keep everyone awake, you know, keeps them alert. And then if they're not turning, then we know you're not paying attention. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just one verse. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. How movable? Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And obviously you can use that promise about our labor never being in vain, but I'm pointing your attention to the fact that we're told to be steadfast and unmovable. Okay, so God wants us to not be being blown around. He doesn't want us constantly changing our belief system. If you get in the Word of God and just believe the Bible, you're not going to be blown around. That's going to give you some stability, which certainly we all need, right? The Lord doesn't want us moving all over the place. And so how are we moved all over the place? Well, we're moved all over the place when we don't submit to the Word of God, when we just look at what's trending and we look at what's the new thing and what's, I mean, I mean it, it's crazy just in my short lifetime because I'm not old, teenagers, I'm very young. Um, in my short lifetime, it's amazing how much even the medical profession has changed their opinion on stuff. Like, I mean, it's like, this is the pinnacle of, this is what you're supposed to do. I didn't look up the stuff because it's just, I have to sit and think about it and I didn't have time for that. But I mean, it's crazy. Like how many things are completely different. Like they used to do this. And so I, even with my sister having a baby, we're down there. We're like, oh yeah, this is how they're going to do that. And then they're like, no, we don't do that anymore. That's illegal. It's like, well, you did that to my kids. You know what I mean? Like that was fine then. You know what I mean? Like how have we already changed that? You know? Um, so <clears throat> come back to Ephesians chapter four. Uh, what I'm pointing out is, is just that constant moving and the Lord wants us to be stable, right? He wants us to be un, unmovable. Uh, of course, the, the unmovable is not a stubbornness of just, I won't move. No, it's I'm, I'm stuck in God's word and I'm not changing from that. I'm not being moved away from the truth of the word of God, okay? So uh, he says there in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, okay? So slight that's the only time that word shows up in the King James Bible, and that's going to be like a sly or an artful trick. The slight of men meaning they deceived you, right? And he says it and defines it right there by saying, lie in wait to deceive. That's what's great about the Bible is it usually just defines it for you. So Paul's warning of men, right, that will lie in wait to deceive, okay? Um, that teaches us that the person that's trying to deceive you is not going to come out and tell you, hey, I'm trying to deceive you, right? Like, hey, guess what? What I'm telling you is actually going to be a trick and I'm going to get you to fall for it, right? No, they don't, they don't, they aren't going to say that. They're going to trick you, right? That's what the sleight of men is. Uh, that would be like the sleight of hand where someone can switch the cards and deal the next card, not the top card, right? And they're not giving you the one that's on top because the one's the ace on top and they want that for themselves, right? Like, so it's a, it's a trickful, artful thing, okay? So we're to watch out for that. Um, <clears throat> When someone's uh, slight, the slight of men or someone's lying in wait to deceive, it's going to be subtle and it's going to be very uh, it done in such a way that you don't see it if you're not comparing it to the Word of God. If you don't have a final authority again to go back to and say, you know what, that doesn't make sense with what the Word of God says, then you're not going to see it because it's going to be someone that says it nicely, 
says it very slyly, right? Uh, Romans, I think it's chapter 16, talks about uh, doing it with fair speeches and smooth words, right? Like that. So when someone's very smooth in their speech, just because the Bible, I'm immediately like, whoa, why are they so good at speaking? <laughs> now, if they're backing it up with the Word of God, then it's like, well, they're just gifted, right? But when someone's very smooth in their speech, the opposite of me, right? Then it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm going to make sure that what they're saying is lining up with the Word of God rather than me just, but they're so nice. You know what I mean? Like, they're the nicest people ever. They would never lie to me, right? Well, you've all been lied to by nice people, right? And so that doesn't necessarily mean they're saying the truth just because they might say those things nicely. And so who's Paul warning here? Well, Paul's not warning the lost world in Ephesians 4. They're already lost and they're already deceived. He's talking to save people, that there's men... And you could say women as well, just mankind. There's men out there being led by Satan to deceive and to get Christians to pull back from their belief, their unity in the faith, the truth that God has shown them, and to pull them back to something else that might sound right, it might look right. I mean, right, the the fruit in the garden looked right. It was pleasant to the eyes. It desired to make one wise. It was good for food. It was all positive things, right? Why not eat of it? Well, here we are, right? And we had the problems this morning with our flesh. Because Eve eaten that stinking fruit, right? And then, of course, Adam eating it as well. And so, so you can't go based off of what you're looking at. Uh, look at Acts chapter 20. I know we were here not too long ago, but it's one of those passages when you talk about deception and men doing it, uh, you kind of have to look at it. Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, Acts chapter 20. And it, I think oh, that's when we looked at it. It just dawned on me. I think we looked at it when I introduced the book of Ephesians because Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus here in, in Acts chapter 20. And so it's only fitting to go look at it. Um, look at verse 17, Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. It says, and from Miletus, this is of course Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Okay, so Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus. And of course, the book of Ephesians is written to Ephesus, right? The church at Ephesus. Okay, so look at verse 28. What does Paul say? Take heed therefore unto yourselves. He's speaking to the pastors, the elders, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. So what do they need to do? Well, they got to beware, but their job is to what? To feed. Feed the church of God. Well, what are they feeding them? The Word of God. Like, it's not a trick question, right? They're not just feeding them Time Magazine, right? Like, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 here at some point when I eventually get there, and we're going to get into some marriage stuff. And so I bought the Time Magazine, The Science to Marriage, and I'm reading that thing, and I'm getting some great notes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, I'm re- well, I mean, if they figured out the science of it, then it's got to be good, right? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what I think of it when I finish it. Um, <clears throat> but what are we supposed to feed them? Well, we're not feeding them that. We're feeding them the Word of God. Amen. So that's what a preacher's supposed to do, okay? So be weary of a preacher who's always feeding you psychology. Right. Be weary of a preacher who's always feeding you what's trending. Yes. Now, it's fine to take what's relevant and, and apply it to the Scriptures. That's totally fine. But watch out for people that are just giving you, well, the new study says this, and the new study says this. That's all that stupid magazine has given me so far. I'm three-quarters of the way through it, and it's just, the new study says it could be this or this. And the new, and this professor says this. And, and they've given you nothing. They're just rambling and rambling. And it's just like, good night, man. It's crazy. I mean, there's some things that my wife and I have done the wrong way according to science, and we're doing pretty good. And there's some things we did the right way. So it's like, which one do I take? Because they, they conflict with one another. But anyway, Acts chapter 20, he says... Uh, I'm getting bunny trailing on Time Magazine. Um, 
Feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, for I know this. Okay, so Paul says, there's one thing I know. People, listen up to the elders here. That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among among you, not sparing the flock. So he says, there's going to be wolves coming in. And he's not talking about animals. He's talking about people, and he's referring to them as wolves. Okay, then verse 30, also, not only will they enter in, also of your own selves shall men arise. That means people already there, right? Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. What are they doing? They're not drawing them after Christ. They're not drawing them after the word of God. They're drawing them away after themselves. So that's what you need to be weary of, right? And watch out for verse 39. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. There's the Bible. You need the word of God. That's what you need to grow. That's what you need to protect you, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. Okay, so come back to Ephesians chapter 4. So the warning there is there's, there's going to be men, wolves coming in, not sparing the flock, and there's going to be ones that rise up among you. That teaches me that there's going to be Christians or so-called Christians that are in the body of Christ, probably saved, that are going to rise up and try to draw people away. Satan can lead Christians the wrong direction, right? Uh, just because someone's saved doesn't mean they can't be deceived, right? And, and so we have to watch out for that, okay? Um, not only that, <clears throat> I'll say this. Whenever you get in the Word of God and you get going to church and you get to a place where you're trying to grow, you just put a target on your back. Because Satan doesn't care if you're just going to sit in the silence and do nothing for the Lord. You're useless to the Lord, and he's fine with that. But the second you try to get in the Word of God and start trying to make some changes in your life and start getting in the Word of God daily and saying, man, I need to change that, and I need to start doing that, you know what you've done? You've put a target on your back because now Satan doesn't want you to do what you're doing. Do you realize with your mouth you might spare someone from going to hell? By your testimony, someone might trust Christ because you're a Christian, you're different than everyone else. And the devil doesn't like any of that. And so he's going to work tirelessly to stop you from growing and to stop you from making the good decisions that God wants you to make, okay? So you're going to have to be careful. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, See then that ye walk, so we're walking, as we've been talking about walking, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, right? So circumspectly is cautiously, with watchfulness every way, with attention to guard against surprise or danger, okay? So that's the way I'm supposed to walk as a Christian. I'm to watch out for someone who wants to pull me away from the Word of God. Watch out for someone who wants to deceive me and cause me to err from the words of truth, okay? And, and the time in which we live in, of course, deception is running rampant. Like, you don't have to go to a bad church to get deceived. You just have to open your phone and get on YouTube, it's that easy. It's just on your fingertips. Like you can be like, pastor said this and I don't understand it. Let's plug it into YouTube because certainly I'll understand it better if I go there. 95%, and that's probably even wrong, it's probably higher. 95% of the stuff you're going to get on there when it comes to the Bible and spiritual is garbage. You say, that's a bold statement. Well, I've looked on there. I would say it's probably higher. There isn't that much good stuff on there when it comes to understanding the word of God. And you say, well, then you're the final authority. No, man, get, it, get a book. I'll point you in the direction of some books. There's some great 
sources of truth that can help point you to the Word of God and solidify some things in the Bible that maybe you struggle to understand. But don't get on the, on the stinking internet, man. It's a mess. It's far and few between if you can find someone that will actually just believe the King James Bible. And then you can find guys that believe the King James Bible are just there to deceive you and draw you away after them, right? And so we have to be cautious of that. All right, look at verse 15. Uh, Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. All right, so when it comes to being deceived, what stops us from being deceived is the, the, the truth being spoken in love, okay? Uh, the liberals are all about speaking love and no truth. And we have the tendency of speaking truth without love because we try to go against the way they do it. <laughs> but the, the perfect balance is right in the middle, and it's speaking the truth, but doing it in love, okay? And that's the way in which God wants us to do it, and that's the way in which Paul is commending us to do it, all right? So um, the Lord desires, like I've said multiple times, He desires growth. That's why He says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, all right? So what are we growing from? We're growing from the truth. It's not very deep. What's the truth? John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So you're like, we're back on the Bible again. Yeah, we're back on the Bible again. That's where, that's where your growth is going to come from. It's going to come from the Word of God. It's not going to come from a person, like outside of Jesus Christ. Your growth is going to come from the Word of God primarily. And so that's what we need to be constantly getting in, the Word of God. Why? The Word of God can change my life. The Word of God can change the way I look at the world. The Word of God can change my future. I can store up rewards. Why? By heeding to the Word of God, right? Without the Word of God, I will not grow. I will remain a child back there in verse 15, being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. But with the Word of God, I can grow, right? Without the Word of God in your life, you, you will not grow, right? And so he says in verse 15, which is the head even Christ. So we're, we're growing up into the, to Christ. We're trying to be like Christ. And of course, the head of the church is Christ. Uh, we've covered that already. I'm not going to harp on that now. But of course, uh, the head of the, the body is, is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an organization, right? Like pastor says often, it's not the Baptist church. It's not the Catholic church. It's not the Mormon church. It's not Jehovah's Witness or Kingdom Hall. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a man or an organization. It's the man, Jesus Christ, like God himself, okay? So that's, that's the head, all right? Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So we see the first two words there in verse 16, from whom? Well, who's the whom? Not deep, right? From the previous verse, it's Christ. Okay, so the whom is Christ. And so when it comes to growth and it comes to the fitly joining together and the compacting and every joint supplieth and the effectual working of every measure of every part and the increase of the body, all of those things are done by the Lord himself, right? We've talked about... Um, Recently, we talked about, a couple lessons ago, I think it was, we talked about how God is the one that has, takes us and places us in the part of the body of Christ that we need to be in, right? Uh, we, we are placed in His body as it pleaseth Him, right? Okay, so now we're talking about growth. We're talking about growth in the body of Christ. And so just, just when we talk about the body, like just let me pose a couple questions to you when it comes to your physical body that we can make spiritual application to. You don't have to answer them out loud. You can just answer them in your head. Do all the body parts grow at the same rate? No. Do all the body parts grow to be the same size? No. Like, this isn't very deep, right? Like, obviously, my leg is not the same size as my face. 
that would be awkward. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be long face, you know? Um, no, like, obviously, okay, so God has created the body with different members in different positions, and God is the one that chooses the rate of growth. How much, how fast, and how big they will get. Does that make sense? Like, if I'm the, the pinky toe, I'm not going to be the same size as the big toe. That would be weird, right? Then, then the thing would be out of balance, right? And so you say, that's kind of silly. Yeah, it is kind of silly, but I'm trying to get you to see we are not the judge of people's growth. God is. I am not the judge of your rate of growth. I get out of line when I start trying to figure out why that person is not growing at the speed I think they should. Now, it could be they're, they're hindering themselves with sin and all of that, right? There, there's other things involved there. But when a person's growing, God's the one that put them where he put them in the body. And God's the one that decides how big they're going to grow and what nutrients he's going to give them and at what rate they're going to grow, right? Like babies come out with arms about that long and their head's that big. And so you raise their arms all the way up and their, head, their hand's like this high. And you're like, how's that possible, right? Because a human is like way longer, right? Well, that's the way God designed it. And so then their body grows the way that God wants it to grow. And the different members of the body grow the way that God wants them to grow. And when it's not right, well, then there's a birth defect. But when it's done, when the Lord does it the way he intended to do it, then it's done in just the right manner. And so the body of Christ is no different in that sense. We have to keep in mind that God is the judge at what rate people should grow. And I'm not the judge. And, I, and God is also the judge how much someone's going to grow. And I am not the judge, right? God's given people different things to grow with. We did not all get the same ingredients. We did not get all get the same upbringing. We did not all get to grow up in the same church, right? And so there's going to be different levels of growth that God has for that person. And they're going to please God just as much as I do as long as we all grow to the potential that God wants us to grow to, right? And then God is pleased with it. So he says there at the end, we'll kind of wrap her down. We've kind of got a couple minutes here. He says at the end of verse 16, he says, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Okay, so it's funny because he brings up love twice. He says we're to, the, the love shows up in verse 16, love shows up in verse 15. It's almost like we need, we need a little bit of that. <laughs> That's why Paul says it twice. But he says there that God has designed the body in such a way that as it grows and it increases, it can do so by edifying of itself in love. Okay, So um, just, you know, obviously we all think differently, and, and this is the way I think when I, I think of this passage here, when it comes to this edifying of itself in love. Certainly in the, in the text as a whole, we're talking about the universal body of Christ, right? We're talking about anyone who has trusted Jesus Christ. But let me ask you this question. When's the last time you hung out with the universal body of Christ? Like the whole thing? Well, the obvious answer is I never have, right? Because they're not even all alive. Some of them are in heaven, like not alive on the earth, right? And some, right, are, are still here, right? And I couldn't even hang out with all the ones that are alive right now because we're all over the world, right? So, so certainly when he says here this edifying of itself in love, the closest thing we can get to that universal body is going to be the local church the local assembly of believers in the town in which we live in, right? And so God has designed the body in such a way that we can get together, and if we speak the way we're supposed to speak, which that's the big question mark, right, and have the right spirit and have the right heart, we can edify one another in love, and we can build and encourage and help each other, right? And so we live in a day and age, and I guess it's probably always been around, you know, with Christians that get this idea, well, I don't need the local church. I don't need, I don't need a church. I can meet with God in my living room right? I can meet with God in the woods. Well, certainly, yeah, you can, but there's some things you're going to miss. 
And one of them is, who's going to edify you? How are you going to be built up? Because that's what edify means. Edify means to build. And so the Lord has designed the body, and we've covered this when I came forward to this reference earlier when we were talking about buildings in, in chapter 3, I think it was. Um, but God has, has he's likened the body unto a, a, a body. He's likened it unto a building, right, the church. And so we're to be building one another. And we do that by edifying one another in love. Okay? So, so when you get this idea that you don't need a local church and you don't need that camaraderie and you don't need a pastor, you are missing out on the fact that, number one, no one's edifying you in love, and you're not doing your job to edify any, anyone else in love, right? Because that can be done when we come together, and that can't be done without the local church and a place where we can meet and help one another. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> and I know, like, you're the wrong people to tell us to because you're the ones that are in church, but just to encourage you to stay. Don't, don't get this idea that you don't need the local church. Man, if, if you have a local church that believes the Bible in your town, you need to be a part of it as much as you can, right? Why? Because I need to be edified. I want to be built up. I want to grow, and I certainly want to do my part. May, it may be small, but do my small part in building others. You, just by being here, you affect each other. Just by showing up, you're affecting one another, even without speaking to each other, which I'm not saying don't speak to each other, but... I'm just saying you can't speak to everybody every service probably, but just by showing up, it means something. You know, I've been kind of like on the side working on a message on mountain climbing and me and Toby were climbing a mountain this past week, just Mount Sentinel up the goat trail. And we were talking about how much it is encouraging just to have someone on the trail with you. Like, why? Because then we push each other. Because when you're alone, it's a lot easier to stop and take a break when you can't breathe. You know what I mean? Because that's what happens when you go straight up a mountain. Well, but then someone else, it's like, and Toby's the kind of guy that he never sets the lead pace. He'll let you take the lead, but he's always right behind you. And right when I can't hear him and I'm like, eh, I can slow down. He's like, yeah, oh, he's right there. He like, he just always is right behind me. And like, it's so frustrating because he's always there. And, and then we, we start early a lot of times, you know, when it's still dark. And so with headlamps, it saves me the neck crick, but I just see that light right behind me on my feet. It's like, all right, I can keep going. Why? Because he's right there. And that's what a church can be to you. It can be, you know what? I can go another day. Why? Because there's a bunch of people that are doing the same thing. They're right there with me. And yeah, I know they're not at work with me every day and they're not with me every day of the week. Thank God, right? Because we drive each other crazy. But I know that they're still pushing forward. And when someone leaves, it's heartbreaking. And, and we endeavor, right? To, hey, man, how you doing? Like, come back. Well, we're trying to encourage them. Why? try to get them to get back up. And sometimes, you know, just, they just decide to be done, right? Well, that's, that's sad because that's one less person to encourage someone else, right? Um, and First Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 11. It says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. How can you comfort yourselves together if you're not getting together? You can't, okay? And edify one another even as also you do. Again, how are you going to build if you're not together? You won't. And that's why we have fellowships. That's why we, we meet constantly. And, and some people think we're crazy for how many services we have a week. Right. We need it. We need to be built up. We need to be able to comfort one another. We need to be able to edify one another. It says in the next verse, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Admonishes to warn, to instruct, to reprove with mildness. So if you're the, the type of person that thinks you don't need church, who's going to admonish you? No one. 
the Lord has put a local church and put people in positions to admonish us through the scriptures. And so if I'm never going to go to church and I'm never going to take part in the services, then I'm missing out on the admonishing that I need. I can instruct myself. Yeah, but you won't grow the way you're supposed to. I hope you are instructing yourself. I hope you don't just, the only thing you do is hear preaching and then you're done the rest of the week, right? Hopefully you're in the word of God and being admonished some more, but God has put people in positions to admonish us and to help us to grow. Um, You can come back to Ephesians chapter four. Unfortunately, we have have created a culture in which um, we disregard things we don't like. It's just like, don't care about that, don't care about that, and just scroll on down. Like, looking for a movie? Nah, nah, nah. I can do that for 15 minutes and then just give up because I get so used to saying no to every stupid thing that they're trying to push now, right? Like TV shows, movies, whatever it is. Like, it, we've created a culture where if, if, if I don't like what you said or I don't like the way it looks, I'm done with you. But that can't be the mindset of the Christian when it comes to the, the local church. Why do you think there's so many churches? I don't like that the way that guy looked at me. I don't like how pastor yelled at me. I don't like how he preaches. He doesn't have enough love. And so they go down the street. And what happens there? They get frustrated there too because someone else ticks them off. So-and-so, you know, hit me up for money 50 times and I'm tired of that. So I'm going to the next church. And then they just hop around. And what happens? They don't grow. That's what happens. Unfortunately, that's the outcome of it, is it's not being willing to sit down and submit to the Word of God. And like Pastor said, and I'll say it as well, man, if I've given you my opinion, throw that in the trash. I don't care about that. But what comes out of the Word of God from this pulpit, we need to take and submit to and take and learn and allow it to instruct us and grow us. Why? So that we can grow, right? That the idea is we want to grow. We want to be unmovable. We want to be steadfast. We've been talking about that throughout the lesson. Those things don't take place if I don't faithfully come and subject myself to a place where I can grow. Okay? All right. We're out of time. Let's take a break. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you, God, that it does grow us. Thank you that it does admonish us and reprove us and rebuke us and exhort us. Uh, Lord, your word is, we can't even understand all that it does. God, it washes us. It's a mirror, and and the list goes on and on. God, it gives us the nutrients we need to grow. And so I pray, God, you'd find us here at Open Door Baptist Church, people that are endeavoring to grow the way you want us to grow at the speed you want us to grow. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. We love you, and we pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. Okay.